New Jersey. The most widely known for its pork roll, Parkway, and Bruce Springsteen, it's nicknamed the Garden State for a good reason. Nestled within the Delaware River Valley is a little gastronomical haven, and at the heart of this haven is a cooking school on a farm. It's unique. It's unpretentious. And it's dedicated to teaching people how to make really delicious food. This is the Farm Cooking School, the podcast. Hi, we are your hosts, Kendra Thatcher and Carl Wagner. Every other week or so, we are dedicated to bringing you onto our farm and into our kitchen. We work with quite an accomplished culinary community, and we want to spread the love, knowledge, and passion, because that's important. So, let's get cooking. All right, we've laid the groundwork for you, and now it's time to dig deep into the meat and soil of what we do. We cook, we explore, we teach, and we learn. In today's episode, we're jet-setting without the jet lag. First, we trek around India with Chef April Galileo. A lesson in history and geography quickly turns into one about evolution and the future of the country's cuisine. Then, Shelly invites us into her kitchen for a midday fiesta, where she puts a tortilla around a piñata and calls it a taco. And yes, it's just as unexpected and exciting as it sounds. Finally, Chef Nikki Lee explains why Americans love Chinese takeout and how takeout isn't really Chinese. And yes, we'll talk about that giant f***ing elephant in the room, MSG. Get used to hearing our first guest's voice. Chef April Galileo has become a fixture at the cooking school, and for very good reason. Her regional Indian series explores the melding of traditional flavors and spices with local ingredients and seasonal flair. A few weeks ago, I hung with April to have her set the story straight on the evolution and history of Indian cuisine. April, thank you for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning. We just had some kimchi and coffee, so we're uh, all ready to go with this episode. <laughs> Best combo ever. <laughs> right. Let's talk a little bit about you. What's your background? Where you been? Where you from? <laughs> All right. Where are you living? <laughs> so um, let's start from the beginning. I was born in India, in Bombay, India, and um, came to the States right before my third birthday. So that was in 77 and um, grew up in Persephone, New Jersey. I'm totally a Jersey girl, even though I'm Indian, but totally <laughs> a Jersey girl. So where did you learn how to cook? So I learned how to cook literally right at my mother's side. Mm. I love how, you know, a lot of people say that they, you know, were inspired by one of their parents, grandparents, whatnot. But you really do take a lot of what you learn from your mother to your classes and bring them in. So are there any like specific dishes that there there are? So, you know, like in many different cultures, recipes are passed down from family member Mm -hmm. to family member. And India, culturally speaking, is so steeped in tradition. Mm. And that's something, I mean, when when you have a family member who who trusts you with a recipe and this is how we do it and this is, and they tell you this is how it gets done, it's a serious business. And... That was something that I took very seriously. Also, like I am being entrusted with these recipes and these methods. And it's something that I definitely want to share with others. 
And, you know, this is one of the reasons why for thousands of years Indian cuisine has not evolved, you know, up until about maybe 20 years ago. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, because recipes were passed down and it's comfort food, hmm. you know, and every home, every, every household has a different way of making the same dish. And what makes it your own is what you're putting into it and, you know, the different methods of, of preparing it. Mm-hmm. And that's what differs from family to family, even village to village, or even region. I'm so glad that you say that because, you know, while you and I were prepping for this episode, I know that you have in your Indian series, like you kind of do like a Northern Indian series or a Southern Indian series or Eastern and Western, whatever, but they are all so different. And it has really shattered this misconception that we have of what Indian food is. So I would love to hear from your perspective what is Indian food? <laughs> that is such an awesome question. Um, I think Indian food at its very core is a very primal survival process. Indian cuisine is basically based on what's available in the environment. Mm. And, you know, back in the day when there was no refrigeration and there was, you know, you're just basically living off of what's grown in the area, what's available in the area. And the South is so different from the North because South, you're, you have a tropical climate. So, you know, the gravies in a lot of the foods are a lot thinner. There's a lot more water. It's easily absorbed by the body. Whereas in the Northern part of India, you have like, you know, the four seasons. Mm-hmm. And the climate is a lot like, I would equate it to... North Carolina, Georgia, that area, Interesting. where you do get a little bit of winter over there as well. So the foods over there are a lot heartier. You know, they're a lot more filling for that reason, too. So that's just one of the very basic differences between that. And then you have east and west where you're surrounded by water. So you get a lot of seafood and fish that plays into the diet, mm. which doesn't necessarily translate to northern Indian cuisine. Right. So... It's very interesting to see, you know, how different dishes come about. And just by the ingredients in the dish, you can tell whether it's North Indian, South Indian, Western, or Eastern. That's so interesting. Now, I'm going to take it back a little bit because you use the word gravy. When you say gravy, am I thinking curry? <laughs> yeah, you are. Okay. So let's, let's talk about curry for a moment. <laughs> And, and this that is was a, the perfect lead up. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so curry, curry is one of those things. Um, the word curry actually does not exist in India. The curry is actually a curry leaf, which is a flavoring agent. And that's one of those you know flavors that are typically from South India, hmm. not the North. And um, curry, actually, that word came from the word thuri which means gravy or sauce. So when, you, when you're talking about like chicken curry, you're basically talking about a braised or stewed chicken dish with thuri or a gravy with it. Hence, chicken curry came to be that way. So one of the things that you know, we do a lot of in our cooking schools, we really try and cook with the seasons. And I remember yes. you, know, you and I were chatting about that. Like how do you translate these different regional dishes that might not be following, you know, certain seasonal things. Like, how do you translate that to the cooking school? 
that is one of the things that every Indian person who has migrated to this country has to deal with. Right. And um, it's the availability of seasonal ingredients. Coming over here, you know, we found because we are used to a cuisine that, you know, we're using ingredients that grow in four different seasons, we have the availability of things like cauliflower, potatoes were available, um, turnips, that's another big one that's used in northern Indian cuisine, and you don't see any of that in southern Indian cuisine. Mm. So for us and my family, it was a lot easier to kind of, you know, come over except for the meat portion. And, and we made it work right. um, with whatever was available. And now I'm starting to incorporate a lot of the ingredients that are here. For example, parsnips. There is not a single parsnip recipe in Indian <laughs> cuisine, like whatsoever. And I wanted to try to take that vegetable and, and make it Indian with the spices. So what are you doing with that? Fennel seeds, ground coriander oh. works really well with that. But fennel seeds and parsnips have been my favorite com like combination this season. So and you pan roast it. Wow. Yes. So it's just taking those regional Indian flavors, whichever mm -hmm. region you happen to be teaching in, and applying maybe some kind of a traditional cooking method or not exactly. taking an ingredient from here, making that kind of the star and just creating something new. It, and, and that's the beauty of it all. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like I was saying earlier, Indian cuisine had not evolved for, you know, for thousands of years. My generation now has kind of picked up and, you know, is running with the ball because we don't have, you know, the same ingredients available right. anymore. So now you do see this evolution, which is taking place in, you know, the culinary world in India. What are some quintessential Indian pantry staples that every home cook should have on hand? Number one is cumin. Mm -hmm. Cumin is a way of um, introducing like a smoky kind of flavor into the food without having to go and grill a piece of meat. Ground coriander is used quite a bit. I would have that on, on hand. It has a very piney, perfumey kind of taste to it, which works well with cumin. Mm. Ginger is another one to have on hand. And um, I mean, we can go on about all the medicinal purposes Oh, yeah. with ginger too, but that's a great staple to have on hand. One more item or one more ingredient, which is not very commonly known in the States, but is in so much of the Indian, you know, cuisine and dishes, asafoetida, which we call hing in the North or hing in South India. And asafoetida is actually a plant resin which is collected, it's dried, and then it's grated into a very fine powder. What is the flavoring of it? See, and that's the interesting part, because <laughs> when I, whenever I introduce asafoetida to my class, I always kind of preface that entire conversation with, it's not going to taste anything like it smells. So the dictionary actually described asafoetida as being fetid. But it's... Um, in its entirety, it's pungent. Okay. And I, one of my students in class last week described the scent as a mixture between like fermented onion and pineapple. 
And I think that person is like totally accurate. <laughs> they should absolutely write to Webster's and say, you know, I got something for you. Right? That sounds so much more appetizing. Well, April, this has been absolutely fantastic. And I can't thank you enough thank for... Thank you. This is so much fun. Stopping by and chatting with us. And now I'm really hungry. So thank you for that. <laughs> right? Come on over. I'll feed you. Exactly. <laughs> Moving from spice to spicy, next we're going to take you into Shelly's kitchen for a taco party. Shelly spent time growing up and later opened her first cooking school in Mexico City, where she fell in love with the warm people, the fiery music, and of course, the delicious food. Today she's making a scallop taco with a fiesta twist, a pico de piñata. That's right, the crepe paper and cardboard classic, though this salsa isn't all fruity pops and chocolate treats. We are in Shelly's kitchen, and Shelly, what are we making today? So today, uh, we're gonna make some seared scallop tacos with a jicama peanut slaw. That's what I call in English, but it kind of has an interesting story. Both uh, jicama and clementines, or oranges, um, and peanuts are all things that can be found in a piñata. And as everyone knows, piñatas are very common in Mexico. Um, but the inspiration for this recipe came from Enrique Olvera when the first time I went to his restaurant Pujol in Mexico City uh, and had a foie gras with what he called a pico de piñata. So pico means chopped and piñata, uh, you know, and he calls it that because it has jicama um, orange and peanuts in it, and he may well have had sugarcane as well, which is harder to get here. So I adapted the idea um, for a scallop taco because I thought the fruitiness of the oranges would be really nice, and um, the peanuts and the crunch of the jicama, as well as some chicharron um, fried pigskin, which is optional, uh, but that's that adds a nice sort of earthy flavor to the whole mix. We're gonna assemble this together. And it's, I'm so glad that we're doing something interesting with you know, scallops as well, because I would never have thought to put scallops into my taco. Yeah, well, this definitely is a modern take on tacos. Right. And I think you can go a lot of different places with them. Mm -hmm. So in my cookbook, Just Tacos, I have several recipes uh, and especially in the seafood chapter where I sort of take off in a modern direction. I also do uh, Japanese um, seared tuna tacos oh. and a lobster taco that uh, is not traditional. So I think you can really have fun. You know, it's anything you put a tortilla around is a taco, okay? A par <laughs> it's a party in your mouth, a pinatas right. and all. Right, absolutely. Right. So um, let's, let's put the salsa together. So what we have here is, uh, first I'm gonna take my clementines that have been chopped up into quarter inch dice and then the jicama which has been cut the same way and about the same amount then we have some red onion to give a little color and of course you know you have to have onions in a salsa you need not necessarily in your piñatas but definitely no. in your salsa <laughs> right uh, and also typical components of a salsa that we're adding is of course chilies and we are using uh, habanero chilies because they go sp really, really well with fruity flavors. Okay. okay? So what, what are yeah. the, like what are the tasting notes of a of a habanero pe habanero? Okay, pepper? so it's very hot, but it's very fruity and fine. It's almost floral. And then we have cilantro. So cilantro, of course, brings cilantro. everything together and Capel, makes it delicious. Salsas. 
<laughs> so let's throw all that chili in there and the cilantro and our peanuts. Okay, so we'll have peanut crunch, yes. and then if you're using the chicharron, the fried pig skin, mm -hmm. then I would add that at the last minute so it stays crunchy, but you're going to want to dice that pretty fine okay. too, okay, okay? or really chop it up. Uh, and then we, of course, need a little salt, so let's salt this mixture. And then we have some juice from our clementines, or oranges if you're using oranges. Okay. Um, so that will help combine everything together. Oh my God, it smells so fresh and amazing. Ugh. Okay. That? So this is your salsa, and you could use this on any seafood, I would say. Um, it's, you know, fruit, fruit salsa is always good on seafood. So, and if you prefer, you could use mango instead, but you're getting away from the piñata. But you could use mango or, or, or pineapple or another fruit that you have around. I don't know hit a piñata if there is a pineapple in it. No, well, no, not in your piñata, <laughs> just in the salsa. Um, okay, so now we have to we have to sear our scallops. The scallops. Okay, so we're going right. to the stove. Using dry scallops, and then you are going to dry them off, pat them dry with paper towels, because they're not really dry scallops, okay? Right. Then we're going to season them on both sides with salt and pepper. Okay, and we have our pan heating so Super that it's nice and hot so we get already. a good sear. Okay, and I'm going to try to do this without the vent because we don't want all that noise. Right. But we might get very smoked out in here. So I um, recommend you do the, uh, uh, the vent at home. Okay, so a little oil in the pan. And we're using olive oil. Does that matter? Should we it, doesn't it? Matter. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay, and now immediately, because the pan is very hot, we're going to put the scallops, one of the flat sides, down. Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. Okay. All right, so we want to leave them um, be if you have a, um, a, a nice pan, they'll still move around, but we don't want to turn them until they've had a chance to get a good sear on the first side. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the most important side. The second side, we will just pay attention to how cooked they are, okay? okay? But the first side, you want that sear. Just looking for some tongs. Okay, let's see how they're doing. Um, they're golden, but not quite brown enough yet. Right. And, and how, how big are these? What size are these scallops? These are about an inch and a half, I would say. They're, they're pretty big, uh, and they're very nice looking. I got them from Buckingham Seafood uh, over in Buckingham, Pennsylvania. You spare no expenses for this interview. No. You're like, we're going to... Well, we got to get the good stuff. That's right. Okay. What's the point? <laughs> Oh my okay. God, it so good. Now we made earlier we made some corn tortillas. All right, we're turning the scallops now. They're perfectly golden. They're just crisp. absolutely beautiful and crispy on the yeah. outside. All right, we're turning off the uh, or checking yeah, the scallops take really the quick. Scallops off. We want them still a little translucent in the middle because the residual heat will continue to cook them. Right. So I'll, I'll just leave that over there for the moment. And nobody uh, likes an overcooked scallop. No. no. And then we can make our scallop tacos. 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 Yeah. Okay, so I think that's I good. All right. 
You got it? We got it, babe. Okay. So. I love how anytime you come over to Shelly's, she just can whip out <laughs> a taco party <laughs> super fast. Well, you know, with like, with like when you're little, focused, you can do anything. That's true. With like pretty little dishes and a real tortilla press. And can you pass me the knife? Baskets and... Now I'm just going to dice up my scallops. Okay, so cut them about three across and, you know, something like that into little dice that's, you know, so you, so you distribute them evenly in your taco. So you're going just ever so slightly larger than the chop that you have. Yeah, I, wanna, I want it to have a bigger flavor right. uh, than the, the chopped everything else. Right. You want you to get a little more scallop in your mouth. Okay. And who doesn't want a little bit more scallop in their mouth? Right, and they're so lovely and rich that the the juice um, uh, is is going to cut that richness, the, right. the the fruit juice. And if we need more acidity, we could add some lime juice, but I think it's going to be good just like this. I have a feeling it's going to be perfect. Oh, okay, amazing. so are we ready to eat our tacos? Yes, we okay. are. Okay, so where are my tortillas? Here, they're right in front of you. All right. So you just put a tortilla um, flat on your hand yep. and start filling it. Carl, would you like to try one? Yeah. Here. All right, I'll make one for you, Kendra. Oh, I, I will have one after we're done recording. I can't stand the sound oh. of me chewing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how is it, Carl? Oh, ma'am. Delicious. All right. Pinati. Pinati. <laughs> <Right>. Who knew? <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm going to stop recording now so that way I can eat one of these amazing tacos, put that in my face. And um, Shelly, thank you so much for having us over at your apartment. I know we just kind of show up randomly sometimes. And we really I appreciate love having you. <laughs> it's always fun. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That taco was fucking delicious. So you can find that recipe, which we strongly recommend that you try, along with some pictures that Carl took from the shoot on our website, thefarmcookingschool.com. All right. Chef Nicholas Lee immigrated to the United States from Malaysia, studied at the Institute for Culinary Education, and has been a pastry chef in New York for over 20 years. He's worked at the school pretty much since the beginning, teaching everything from strudel to satay to sweet and sour pork. As we conclude his winter Chinese takeout series, I sat down to talk with him about what drew him to the kitchen and pastry specifically, why Americans love Chinese food so much, and dig deep into the great MSG debate. Hint, racism's a big part of it. And just a quick heads up, lots of whiskey, lots of fucks, and lots of love. All right, I'm here today in Shelly's living room with Chef Nicholas Lee. He's the head pastry chef at the Knickerbocker Hotel in New York City. Um, and we're talking to him today about international cuisine at the Farm Cooking School. Nikki, how are you doing? Fantastic. <laughs> two whiskeys in, fantastic. Uh, two glasses of wine. <laughs> <laughs> two glasses of whiskey. I'm perfect. <laughs> All right, so you are visiting us from New York, as yeah. usual. Yeah. Tell me a bit about your background. Where were you born? How did you come to live in New York? Born in Malaysia and a small city called Surambant. Um, many years ago, 
come here because of to follow my passions, if you put it that way. Um, back home, trying to learn cooking, and there's no schools there to learn. So going, my grandma is a caterer, my mom is a cook. I mean, grow in the food family, and my mom go to learn his her baking skill from housewife, and she have to bring me along with her because she can leave me at home. So and always have this question. To the person they're teaching, like oh, why baking soda, why baking powder, what's the difference? It's all baking. So because they can explain to me, and it's just like shut up and just sit in the corner, <laughs> right? As the one only boy in the room, right? Okay, I shut my hell up, all right? I sit there and watching them, like all this woman, lady, whatever, you know, whipping their butter and sugar <laughs> and eggs, and it turns out like a Beautiful, beautiful butter cake. And you, so. you, you went to study where? Uh, when I come to New York, I go to school called Culinary Institute of Educations. You know, and ICE. But then that time, because I just came, I didn't, I can't afford it. So I work in a dry cleaner for the first six months when I here. Totally hate it. Finally, have a chance to work in the restaurant, and that's how I start my life in mm-hmm. here. And yeah. since then, you've been working in restaurants in New York. Yeah, for how many years has that been? Restaurant a good twelve years, and then hotel for a good eleven years. Between that, um, I'm consulting most of it in pastry. You know, until I met Shelley from the farm cooking school. Right, and how did that was kind of serendipitous, right? How oh, did that happen? There's long story. <laughs> <laughs> well, short short version for short for this version episode. is like she moved into our co-op, and she just lived right across from our apartment. Um, not right across, like through the garden, whatever it is. So people know her, people know me. They said, "Oh, you should met her," and you know, I'm sure that she. Probably hear that she should met me too. So the first day after she moved in, she was in the garden to have a cocktail, and on my way home, then I she was she was like having give me a big wave while I was walking. I'm like, who the hell that she is? You know. Anyway, so I walk in to the garden on the table, and she's like, oh, I'm Shelly. I say, oh, I'm Nicholas. So since then we become a good friend. So we put up a sign. Since that the first wind- cocktail. That was the first cocktail, and one summer, she come and, and visit in Jackson Heights. And she's like, would you like to teach? I'm like, teach me? Like, can you understand my Chinglish, huh, darling? <laughs> she was like, oh yeah. I'm like, okay, all right. So I thought about it and then I contact her back. I'm like, let's do it. So you came and it was your first class a, a pastry class then? No, I was trying to get my roof down Ruth down to teach them and uh, Malaysian cuisine. Okay, yeah, so, so I guess this is why you're on our international episode. You don't just teach pastry. Nope. You're currently teaching, and I'm assisting a Chinese takeout right class. Right. Which has been a- extremely popular. Right. They they've all filled up. They all filled up. I know. That's why I was surprised too. <laughs> so w- why do you think Americans love Chinese food so much? Or is this Chinese food? That's a maybe a better place to start. No. 
<laughs> to be honest to you, that this Chinese food is not a real Chinese food, but it's it's a history, and sometimes you have to look at like where you are, and what you can get, and turn it to what you like. Right. So since America is a it it is a melting pot country, mm-hmm. so and what is wrong with that? Like a Chinese food is not a real Chinese food, a Mexican food is not a real Mexican food. Who care? Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? And that's enough. And most important, again, you have to cook it with love. That's important. And MSG. MSG comes second. <laughs> love then MSG. Love comes first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what are the differences between you know American style Chinese food and Chinese food? Right, because in in Chinese Chinese food, that like if you're using about the cut, you know, so you use. Uh, all the cut, whatever that you can get, and the the what dishes that you make. But here is like you go to you walk into the market, you see only chicken breast most of the time, right? And it's clean without head. So if you're back in China, in Asia, whatever that is, you no. Know, so if you want a chicken breast, you need to buy a whole goddamn chicken for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know, so and then debone yourself. You know, nobody buy sell you just a chicken breast, and somehow chicken breast in Asia. It's nasty because it's always dry. People <laughs> always buy chicken legs, or chicken thigh, or a wing, which is more tastier. Mm-hmm. Which is, but that's surprising when I come to America at the time. Those things are the cheapest mm-hmm. cut, and nobody wants it. So, what are some misconceptions you think people have about Chinese food, or takeout, Chinese takeout? Well, in America, I think a lot of time they're always thinking Chinese food is cheap and a lot and greasy, too gluey, right? Or just like a bad thing. So, I think they're misunderstanding a lot of a good Chinese mm-hmm. food, you know. So, it doesn't matter a real Chinese food or American Chinese food, but if you cook in the right way, it will not be that way. Yeah. So let's let's talk about MSG because okay. I think. That is one of the biggest misconceptions people have about um, Chinese food, correct? Takeout food, that right, sort of right, thing. Right. They feel like they're getting sick from it. Right. Um, what is MSG? Is it safe for us? I know it makes food taste delicious. MSG is what is it made from? Is 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 a sodium, correct? So it's a concentrate that process came out from seaweed from mushroom from tomato from grapes which is the thing that you have every day you don't die you don't have allergy with it but why you cannot, why you hear msg and you have a big reaction with that is that just because of their stupid article many years ago they come out just like msg is bad for you but did you do a research for yourself first before you judge the thing mm-hmm. you know so a lot I mean you if you use a dry mushroom to 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 make a stock and reduce it, and you get the umami flavor. That is MSG. Would you die? Would you have a reaction? You don't have. You eat cheese every day, Parmesan cheese. You put as much as you can in the fucking pasta. You don't have reactions. But then when you hear MSG, oh my god, oh my god, I can't <laughs> breathe. Oh my god, you're overreacting. Chill. <laughs> and I'll have a glass of wine. Chill. <laughs> All right, there's MSG I can talk about. So why did you want to teach this series? Why did I want? I because 
<laughs> cooking Chinese food is not just about putting some ginger and soy sauce and sugar. You call that a goddamn fucking Chinese food for God's sake. <laughs> no, it's not about just soy sauce. It's not about just ginger. There's a whole lot of things out there that you need to know. That's why I think as a chef, it's, a, it's my responsibility to educate and pass on my knowledge to people to know what American Chinese food is and make it better at home. You don't have to be professional. Again, as I said, if you cook with love, everything come out delicious. Awesome. Thank you so much. Pleasure. It's great talking. Pleasure. Carl, I was trying so freaking hard not to laugh while recording that segment. Yeah, I'm developing a new scale for Nikki called f**ks per sentence per whiskey. <laughs> it's approximately two and a half right now. <laughs> um, and we should add that the MSG article that Nikki refers to is an old letter published in 1968 in the New England Journal of Medicine. A physician wrote in about having noticed headache and heart palpitations, the usual MSG suspects, after he would eat takeout. He dubbed it Chinese restaurant syndrome, and misinformation and racism have perpetuated the myth since, despite numerous research articles to the contrary. Recently, episode number 668 of This American Life delved into the totally bonkers story behind how that unsubstantiated letter was published. You'll seriously want to check that out. And for even more information about how the MSG scare spread, read the 2016 article in 538, how MSG Got a Bad Rap, Flawed Science, and Xenophobia. It's by Anna Maria Barry Jester and provides an even more detailed breakdown of exactly how this myth spread so quickly. Okay, kids. Next time on your favorite food podcast, we're getting funky with fermentation. That's right. Carl brings us into a secret meeting with the Culture Club where they get wacky with kombucha. And then Farmer Cat dishes out her highly addictive seconds-only kimchi. And our dear, brilliant friend, Brendan Anderson of Triumph Brewery, breaks down beer and wild yeast with Ian. To get even more cooking school action, join us for a class, swing by the market, or just send us some fan mail. Oh, and join our cookbook club on Facebook. Our website is thefarmcookingschool.com and has everything you need, including information about market times and class schedule. And be sure to follow us on social media at The Farm Cooks. Questions, comments, got a recipe to share? Send them to us at kendra at thefarmcookingschool.com. Like what you're hearing? Great. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a note. In today's episode, we would like to thank April Galileo, Shelley, Nikki Lee, and of course, our editor, Andrew Applegate. Till next time, cook well and eat your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs>